Good morning, and I don't think it's too early to say Merry Christmas. <laughs> the reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, or 7, 1 through 7. And if you read along in your pew Bible, it starts on page 573. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppress oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. It's the Lord, word of God. Good morning, church. We are in our Advent series, which we started last week, called The Weary World Rejoices. Advent is the Latin word means coming or arrival. Christmas is a season where we prepare to celebrate the coming or the arrival of God in the flesh. That's Christmas. That's Bethlehem. But Advent is more than that. And we talked about this last week. Advent is also our preparing our hearts for his second coming, that he's coming again. Right? So this is a season where we remember that he has come, right? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. But he is also coming again to restore everything that has gone wrong, to make all things new, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. That will come to full fruition one day. And so that is what we're calling this series, The Weary World Rejoices. Take it from that great song, O Holy Night. We live in a weary world, don't we? That's self-explanatory. I don't have to prove that to you. 
And as Christians, we don't ignore or cover up our weariness. We don't act like we have it all together. We don't act like everything is great. No, we're honest about the weariness. We live in a fallen world and it often falls on us. But for Christians, there is a thrill of hope. There's a, the, a, the weary world does rejoice. Why? How is that possible? With all that is going on in our world and in our own lives, how can joy be the appropriate response? And the answer is Advent. Because of the coming of Jesus, even in the face of trials, we can have joy. Because the coming of Jesus changes everything. He is the light for our darkness as Isaiah 9 will show us. Light for our darkness. Have you noticed that this season is a season of lights? Ever notice that? Right, we put lights, we, out of nowhere, lights come up, right? We light up our sanctuary. We never do this any other time of the year. Maybe we should, I don't know, but I love that we do it this time of the year. Right? You're going to pull boxes out of your attic. I know you will. Many, many boxes. And some lights aren't going to work. You've got to get new lights. But you're going to wrap lights around a tree in your house. You might even put, put them around the railing. You're going to go outside. I'm going to be dangerous and, and, and be on the edge of my roof and put lights on my roof. Why am I doing that? Why are you going to do that? Because something about light and this season go together. We know, we know that light is not just necessary for life, which it is, right? From a scientific perspective, without light, you cannot, we cannot exist. Light, light is necessary for life. It guards us against danger. It shows us the way. But Christmas is a season of light because we know that intrinsically light is even more than those things. Light is, is beautiful and attractive. We are drawn to light in so many ways. We drive around. Some of you are going to drive around. We're going to get in our van as a family at some point. Drive around and look at the lights. We sit at, at, next to fire pits just looking into the light. Deep down we know that light brings hope and joy. Today I want to show you how God offers us light for our darkness. How God's light can cause a weary world to rejoice. Look at Isaiah 9. Lesson number one. We live in a world full of darkness. We live in a world full of darkness all around us and even inside of us. Isaiah 9 is one of the most famous passages about the coming of the Messiah. It was spoken 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah is speaking into the life of God's people at a time when they have lost their way. That's the context. This is a very dark time for the nation of Israel. How do I know? Look back up in chapter 8, the last few verses of chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. Look what, look what it says. God is saying, they will, the people, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they'll turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This was a time of political 
cultural and spiritual decay. Can we relate to that in any way? The king didn't trust God. The people were consulting sorcerers and mediums to try to figure out how do we get solutions to to our problems. They're looking for answers. Don't get me wrong. They're looking for answers to their problems, but they're looking in all the wrong places. And on top of that, the Assyrian army is knocking on their doorstep. From the north, they are gathering on the outskirts of the northern part of Israel, and they're ready to invade. And in a few short years, that's exactly what's going to happen. They were ruthless and cruel. Truly, there was gloom and anguish and fear. And notice verse 22 there, it says, and they will look to the earth. In other words, the more people looked around, the more they looked around, the more they saw darkness. You see, that's our problem. We live in a world full of darkness. That's one of the main lessons of this text. It's one of the main lessons of the Bible as a whole. Christmas is about light shining in the darkness. Yes, Jesus is the light of the world, but the reason Jesus had to come as the light is because we live in such deep darkness. Verse 2 of chapter 9 says, those who dwelt in the land of, notice, deep darkness. That phrase, that word deep darkness literally means death shadow. It's Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, the death valley, the dark valley. Deep darkness, the troubles of life, as we know, can cast a dark shadow, a death shadow over us. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Have you, anyone here ever been overwhelmed by the darkness around you? Just turn on the news. Pick your version. Wars, rumors of wars, tyrants, nuclear threats, inflation. But then there's also more personal, you know, broken dreams, wayward children, disease, pain, divorce, infertility. The loss of a loved one. There is deep darkness, isn't there? But listen to me. That's not the worst of it. There is darkness out there, yes, and it casts a dark shadow of our lives. But if we're honest, we know that the reason there is darkness out there is because there is darkness in here, in our own hearts. Do you have the courage and honesty this morning to look at the darkness in your own heart? The pride that still resides deep down and and you see it come out. The grudge you hold against that family member and you won't let it go. The lustful thoughts that plague your mind. The critical spirit that, that makes the people around you feel like they can never get it right the worry that haunts you, the greed that holds you to, that, that causes you to hold on tightly to the things that you have. Even if you're not a Christian this morning, you have to wrestle with the question, where does all the evil in the world come from? Don't you see the source is not out there? It is actually in here in the human heart. The source of the, of the evil in the world is our, our penchant for self-centeredness. 
Everything is about me, my needs, my desires are king. And we have ads that play to that, right? Fulfill your thirst. You do you. Your desires are are king. Have it your way. Do they even use that anymore? I don't know. And the problem is because of the nature of darkness, which distorts and deceives, right? If you're in the dark, it distorts things and it deceives you. Because of the nature of darkness to distort and deceive, we actually think that sin is freeing and satisfying. In many ways, people love the darkness rather than the light. Because darkness represents independence from God, right? Freedom from His reign and authority in our lives. The problem is what we consider freedom Right? I want to do my, I want to live my own way. I want, to, I want to do my own reality. What I think is true, I want to self-actualize. What I think is freedom is actually slavery. I'm just trading one God for another God. And the thing about darkness is that it's incredibly oppressive. Why are your kids afraid of the dark? Because of the unknown. What's there? Who's there? Even as adults, ever find yourself having to move around in a completely dark room? It's scary. It's unnerving. You feel like you're about to run into something. Or, or even worse, put your foot on a Lego. It's like, shoots right up. Well, that's at least in my house. We, we try to look for solutions in the darkness, right? We know there is darkness, and, we, and what are the solutions? And, we, and so we come together and we say, ah, and many people advocate, we need greater education, more education. And look, I'm all about education. That's a good thing. But it cannot solve the problems of humanity. Some of the most brilliant people in the world have done some of the greatest harm. Or you might say, our problem is that we have a crisis of leadership. Right? We need someone who can rally our nation or rally the nations together. We need someone to set a bold vision and lead us into prosperity. Again, that might help in some ways, but it can't take away the darkness. In fact, the leaders that tend to do that tend to lead us into more darkness. It doesn't deal with the source of evil. Christmas is not about spreading holiday cheer. I don't care what the Hallmark series tell you. I don't care whatever that movie you love. It's not about spreading holiday cheer. It's not about showing kindness. It's not about us gathering together and holding hands and making the world a better place. Nothing wrong with that, but there is no sentimentality about Christmas. Please hear me. We need a light that pierces the darkness. We need something more powerful than the evil that resides in us and around us. We need hope for our weary world. And that's where Isaiah comes in and proclaims good news for us. Lesson number two, rejoice in the gift of God's light, which dispels the darkness. Chapter 9, verse 1, but there will be no more gloom for those who... For, for, he, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light appeared or shone. 
You see, in the midst of the darkness, Isaiah declares, there will be a time when gloom will end. God's light will shine and it will get rid of the darkness. You see, that's the nature of light. When you go into a dark room and you turn on the light switch, does darkness kind of hide in a corner somewhere? Is it like, oh, you got most of it, but it's still a little bit there. No, what happens? It's gone. No more darkness. Darkness can't hide when there is light. Light dispels the darkness. And God says, I will shine my light and and, and make, make sure you know it is God's light. We don't produce it. We don't manufacture it. God says, I will give you a light that will pierce the darkness. But here's the thing. He says, I will shine it in an unexpected place. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is a strange place for God to shine his light. Why? The region, the region where he's talking about is north of the Jordan. It's the northern part of Israel. Galilee. It wasn't New York City. It wasn't LA. It wasn't Washington, D.C. It was Podunk Town. That's what we're talking about. Out in the country somewhere. We don't even know where that is. In John 1, when Nathaniel is told that Jesus, who could be the Messiah by his friends, he say, listen, Jesus, come see him. He's from Nazareth in Galilee. You know what Nathaniel says? Can anything good come from there? Not only that, because Galilee bordered the, the neighboring countries in the north, whenever foreign armies would come down and march down and invade Israel, that was the region that was attacked first. They were well acquainted with despair and gloom. And yet God chose to launch his mission to rescue humanity in that place. And if you read Matthew 4, it'll tell you that Jesus began his earthly ministry in Galilee. And then Matthew quotes these verses to tell us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the light that has come. God graciously shines his light on the last place on earth that you would expect it and the place that least deserved it, Galilee. What does that tell us about God? It tells us he almost never works in the ways we think make the most sense. When you're crying out to God to work in your life, when you want him to move, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, uh, in your retirement, I don't, in your church, wherever, in your job, you're, you're crying out, God, please, please work in a special way. Please, please guide and deliver. Do you find yourself telling God what you think is the best way forward? Listen, God offers us real hope today, but it won't come in the ways that you think it will. God never follows our customs and our norms. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a feeding trough. Jesus wasn't born to a queen mother. He was born to an unwed peasant girl. God offers us hope and salvation in ways we would never expect. That's the point of Christmas. Christmas is about the person of Jesus. And look, he may not give you the relationship you desperately want. He may not give you the raise you think you need. He may not give you everything that you think will make your life better, but he will give you what matters most, and that is light. The light of life. Because without light, there is no life. And that's why Jesus spoke these words in John 8. 
I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Just like darkness and death are correlated, so is light and life. Jesus is coming to dispel your darkness does not mean he's going to fix all your problems. It doesn't mean he's going to, to, to fix your problem at work or your problem in your relationship. It doesn't mean he's going to fix all, thing, all those things. But listen, the greatest need is not a problem solver. Your greatest need is a savior. You need light and you need life. And that's what God is promising us here. This light symbolizes God's salvation. God rescue us from the darkness of death and giving us the light of life. And look at verse 3. He says, this light is so amazing. It's so glorious. It's so spectacular. It's cause for great joy. Verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy in the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Don't miss this. Verse 3, again, you have increased its joy. Isaiah is talking to God directly. God, you have increased our joy. The joy that comes from God's salvation is a gift from God. If the Lord has given you his greatest gift himself, can he not also increase your joy today? Christmas is about remembering what God has done for you in Jesus. He came down for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He loved you so much that he rose again to give you eternal life. And the more that message fills your heart and mind this season, the more it will fuel your joy even in the midst of darkness. You see, this prophecy hadn't yet come true for Israel. It's not like he's saying, You've, we can celebrate because it's happened. No, it hasn't even happened yet. And yet Isaiah says to the people, you can rejoice now with the hope that it is to come. And I think he would say to us today, how much more can we have this hope and rejoice knowing that the special child has come? He has done his work. Greater joy than a, a bountiful harvest, he says. Or for us, greater joy than that promotion you've been looking for or that massive end of year bonus. The coming of Jesus is better than getting into the school of your dreams or watching your child be born or having your grandchild walk down the aisle. Do you, do you believe that? Do we actually believe that that's the kind of joy that resides in the gift of the Son that Isaiah is talking about? Or do we play lip service and say, yeah, I know you're sending me to heaven, but I want joy now. I want the kind of joy of, of the things of the world. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the light of life. I'm giving you something infinitely better. Greater joy than being liberated from oppressors. Verse four. Verse five, greater joy than bringing an end to all conflict. This gift of God's light overcomes the deep darkness. The coming of Jesus means victory over the sin inside of us. God says the gift of his light is greater than all of those things. And how will God give us his light? How will he bring the salvation? God's answer to everything that has terrorized us as a people, God's answer to our deepest longings and dreams, verse 6, is a child. 
Yes, a child. Not a warrior, right? Not an army, not an angel, a fire. No, this little baby. A child will bring light into the darkness. A child will bring freedom from oppression. A child will bring peace in the midst of conflict. And a child will turn our mourning into dancing. Why? Because God himself came down to us. If you're not a Christian, I know this might sound crazy. Because even for us Christians, it's mind-boggling. That that child lying in a manger, he's the reason why the whole world has joy. He's the reason why a weary world can rejoice. You see, if, if we're looking for joy this Christmas, you can't find it in that perfect gift under the tree. You won't find joy when, if all the family comes together, you won't find the kind of joy you're looking for in that right relationship. You won't find it in the physical healing that you desperately long for, not because those are bad things, but because all of those things will ultimately disappoint us. Gifts, relationships, our bodies, they're going to fail us. Joy is found in a person, the person of Jesus. He will never disappoint us because he will give us what we need most and he has the power and the love to do it. The power of God's light is that it can overcome our darkness. And my question to you is, are you experiencing this kind of joy today? The kind of joy that comes from this child, from the light of God shining in our darkness. Lesson number three. Find hope in the child that saves us from our darkness. Verse 6 and 7 tell us that this child is a king. Notice, the government will be upon his shoulders. He will sit on the throne of his father, David. David was the greatest king of Israel. When Gabriel the angel announces to Mary that she'll be the mother of Jesus, he says this, in, in Luke 1, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There is no mistaken. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. Jesus is the child prophesied in Isaiah 9, verse 6. In, these, in this verse, verse 6, there are four titles of Jesus. And I want to show you how each of these titles correspond to the darkness in our lives. It says, you shall, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Why do we need a wonderful counselor? Why do we need a, literally, a wonder-working counselor? Because sin makes us foolish. Sin makes us see the world backwards and upside down. We have so many voices around us telling us how we should live, what will make us happy, and it's easy to get lost in the confusion of it all. Listen, if you spend all week being catechized by whatever news station, by whatever talk radio, by whatever sports radio, if you spend all week, don't be surprised that it will shape your thinking and your mindsets. 
There are voices, and they have an agenda. No matter which side they're on, there is an agenda. We don't know what to do with our sexuality anymore. We don't know what to do with our kids anymore. We don't know what to do with our money or our jobs or technology. We need a voice of wisdom, but thank God for Jesus. He is our wonderful counselor. He can guide us through the complexities of life. The Apostle Paul tells us that the wisdom is, not, is first and foremost not a system and not a book. Wisdom is a person. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that God actually chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. What does that mean? Look, if you believe that a Jewish baby who was born 2,000 years ago is the hope of the world, it's likely that people will think that you are crazy. If you believe that one man was God incarnate, all of the Godhead indwelling this man, if you believe that his death on the cross was for your sins, even though you weren't even born yet. If you believe that he rose from the dead, some people will call you crazy, but this is God's wisdom. Don't be discouraged that your family members or coworkers think you're crazy. Don't fear, and I've talked to a number of you lately in the last couple of years, don't fear the very real possibility that your employer could fire you because they are convinced that you are a Christian or a bigot. Don't be dismayed. Keep walking the way of Jesus. It's the way of fools, I know. But in the end, that stinky baby born, or that baby born, sorry, in a stinky, dirty stable, he wasn't stinky. Well, actually, he was stinky. Sorry. That's the father coming out of me here. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> that baby, born in a stinky, dirty stable, the one who died on a cursed cross, is more famous than the richest, most successful people in history. I mean, I could start listing names. Whoever, whoever's on the news right now, whoever's doing the coolest things right now, whoever's using billions of dollars to you know, flaunt their wealth and do fun things, that's cool. But listen, nobody's going to remember them in the ages to come. They're nobodies compared to Jesus. The way of the fool is the way that is the way to glory. The foolish way really is the way of wisdom. In our foolishness, wisdom has come in the wonderful counselor. He's also the mighty God. We need a mighty God because sin weakens us and, and cripples us. We may not all struggle with the same thing, but we all sin. Whether it's cutting words or, or envy or anger or lust or unforgiveness, we need a mighty God because more than anything, we need to be rescued from ourselves. We need a Savior who is powerful enough to endure temptation just like us and yet reject sin outright. We need a Savior who is powerful enough to take our penalty for sin on the cross and yet powerful enough to rise from the dead to show us that sin and death have no match for the King of Kings. And we have that in Jesus because in our weakness, 
power has come. He is the mighty God. By the way, calling this baby the mighty God shows that there's no question that Isaiah is predicting that Jesus will be God incarnate. Jesus is the God-man. He was born, and yet he was God. There is nothing like this in any of the claims of all the other world religions. I I studied it in, in, in college. I wanted to know, I wanted to grow my understanding. No other religion claims this. Christmas is about God becoming flesh. And what that means is you can't just like Jesus. You know what I mean? You can't just say Jesus is a great leader. He did wonderful things. His sayings are worth following. He's an example for us to live a a life of, of love, a life of sacrifice. No, you can't say that. The Bible claims Jesus is God and Jesus himself claims to be God. And Christmas confronts us with this astonishing truth. So you can reject Jesus as a lunatic. That's fine. Or like like many, you can say Jesus is a liar. You know, you can come up with all kinds of theories. Oh, he he had a wife and family and we've just discovered things and we piece it all together. It's all a lie. You can say that, but, but you can't just say he was a nice guy. There's no room for nominal Christianity. If he is God in the flesh, if he is the mighty God, that means he deserves your trust, your obedience, your faith, your devotion, your everything. Don't walk out of here if you're not a Christian thinking Jesus is okay, just like Gandhi is okay, just like Muhammad has some good things to say. No, no. He's either the the craziest guy alive, like the other Messiah complex people that that you got to write off, or he was lying, or he is who he says he is, which means we ought to bow down before this king. He is the everlasting father. Why? Why? Because sin alienates us from God. We, we, I said earlier, we reject God's authority in our lives. Christmas is so amazing because it shows us that we have a Father who would, did, who would do anything to rescue us. To restore our relationship with Himself. To care for us. He is a loving dad. Now, some of us have had great dads. I know I did. Maybe you had great memories of your dad. But many of you did not have a great relationship with a father. In fact, some of you have had the greatest pain in your life come from a father. Whether he wasn't there for you or he was absent or maybe he was a terrible father and did and said terrible things. Please hear me this morning. Jesus is the everlasting father. He never leaves you. He never gets tired of you. He's not going to walk out on you. He's not going to betray you. His love never fails you. He's the father your heart has been searching for and has always craved. He's a tender father who always protects, always provides, and always defends. You see, in our, in our estrangement, in our alienation from God, love has come. And he is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace because sin causes conflict and turmoil. Jesus came to bring peace, not just the absence of conflict, but but the word peace here, shalom, meaning everything is working as it's supposed to. Everything is flourishing. 
Jesus came as the Prince of Peace in the, in the inauguration through his birth and death and resurrection. But one day he's going to restore everything that has been lost. But for now, he offers us peace with God. He is our Prince of Peace. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have peace, real peace, with the God who created us and loved us. And not only that, Isaiah is also prophesying about the second advent of Jesus. That's why he says the government will be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of peace, there will be no end. Notice that? He will rule with justice and righteousness forever and ever. That's our hope. In our brokenness, peace has come. Peace. The promise of a child is meant to bring hope to God's people. And you know why he brings hope? Because God becoming a human proves that we have a God who understands what we're going through. Christianity is the only faith that says that that we have a God who has suffered like us, for us. When you cry out to God, you can know that he knows the pain and sorrow of living in a broken world. Jesus experienced all of it. All the rejection from his family, all the alienation from friends, poverty, public shaming, loneliness, physical abuse, loss of loved ones. Jesus knows what you're going through. Corey Ten Boom, one of my heroes of the faith, she helped hide Jews from the Nazis and endured the horrors of concentration camp. She understood this and she made this comment. Later, she said, there is, no pit, there is no pit so deep that Jesus isn't deeper. Why does this matter? Because even though we still struggle with why God hasn't stopped all evil and suffering, what we do know is that it can't be because he doesn't love us. That can't be the reason. Because look at what he's done to show us how much he loves us. He came down. When you realize you have a God who is sympathetic to your suffering, then you can have real hope in a God who can do something about that suffering. And that's exactly what this child did. Jesus came to shine the light of hope into our dark hearts and our dark world. And he did it by going to battle for us. Praise God he didn't stay a child, right? He did grow up. He lived the life you and I should have lived. He was absolutely perfect. He never sinned. He always did the Father's will. He obeyed God's law to the fullest. And then what happened? He goes to a cross. Why? Because the light of the world had to be plunged into our darkness. Deep darkness. Because that's what darkness ultimately is. It's death. That's why God didn't just come down and destroy all evildoers like some of us wish he would do. God, come down and just destroy all evildoers and destroy all evil. Listen, if he did that, you and I would be doomed. That would be no gift. The gift of Jesus is that he comes down and he takes our darkness and our death. He dies in our place, but darkness could not overcome him. Because three days later, what, did he stay dead? Oh, did they find the body? 
Oh, did they say, oh, look, here's dead? No. What? He rose from the dead. He walked out of the tomb alive. And he says, this is the one who has power over darkness and over death. This is the one who's going to reign on the throne of his father, David. This is the one who can be truly called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And what do you do with this, Jesus? It says, for unto us a child is given. It's a gift. It's like on Christmas. There's gifts all around the tree, and you open them, and you don't say to your mom or dad, kids, you don't say when you open up this amazing gift, you don't say, oh, I have some money, mom. Can I pay you for that? No, you don't do that. You, you stand in awe that, that they would give you such a wonderful gift. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Are you bowing to him now as your king? Or does today need to be the day where this son is given to you personally? Where your darkness is, is, is invaded with a light that dispels it all and gives you hope and joy and freedom. And if you've done that, if you've trusted in Christ alone for salvation, if he is the light of your life, then you can have assurance today that he will come again. We wait with confident expectation that Jesus will come back. And as, a, as each day passes, as each trial beats us around, the anticipation grows for Jesus to return and wipe every tear from our eye. And sin and sorrow will be no more. And he removes the presence of sin and death. Our hope is in seeing Jesus face to face, feasting in his restored kingdom with new bodies that will never wear out. And as Revelation 21 says, there will be no more sun because the glory of God will be all the light that we need. And as we look at each other and that day, we will say, we did nothing to deserve this because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. This is light for our darkness. Let's pray. Father, we come needy, desperate, with longings and desires. We need a light that, that pierces the darkness. We need a light that is more powerful than death. Lord, Christmas can, can sometimes get us so overwhelmed with the trappings of the season that we miss you. We miss your light shining in the darkness because, because we're so distracted, we're so busy, we're so consumed. Lord, maybe today, maybe in this very moment, as your people, we just want to pause and just marvel that there is a light that can never be quenched. That there is a flame that can never go out. And it's not a light out there somewhere, Lord. I thank you that it's the light in us. You, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, may this give us greater joy than whatever we think would be the greatest experience on earth. And may this hope give us greater joy as we anticipate things to come in all of eternity that will far exceed our imagination.
we know that whatever is lost here on earth will be restored in your kingdom. Lord, we know that whatever good things we have now will be even better. And Lord, we know that the best is yet to come. I pray for those who don't know Christ. Maybe their hearts are wrestling. Maybe their hearts are darkened and they don't want the light. They are convinced, Jesus, you are not the light. But Lord, we know people like Paul, they were convinced you weren't the light until they saw the light. So Lord, would you shine your light in a beautiful, compelling, miraculous way on hearts that need the light that they might turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as Savior. Even with their doubts, even with their questions, make this clear, Father, for the glory of your name, we pray to you, our King of Kings, we pray. Amen.